Good morning and welcome to Echoes of Calvary. This is your host, Greg Sweeting. Thank you for opening your home to us this morning. I invite you to now open your hearts and worship with us as we share from the Word of God. Stay with us as we share comments and illustrations with a spiritual application, present special music to call us to worship, and in a few minutes, Pastor Alan Lee will come to share insights from Scripture and explain how to apply God's Word that we might grow to be complete in Christ. This is the art of celebration, knowing that we are free from condemnation. These words are from a song that we heard while visiting at a church in Wheaton, Illinois. Actually, it was Wheaton Bible Church. It caused me to think about why we go to church. Why do you go to church? Out of habit? For good appearances? Because it's, it's the right thing to do in your circles? Is it like a Rotary or Kiwanis? A social gathering for meeting people, enjoying fellowship, picking up a few business contacts? Or is it to worship God? The answers can be widely divergent and interestingly different. Even to say, I go to church to worship God, can mean different things to different people, depending on the denomination and even the branch of that denomination that is attended. Some pastors believe church is primarily for evangelization purposes. Others believe it is for the believer to meet, to strengthen their faith, to grow in the knowledge of God in the Bible, and any number of variations in between. Some have told me that they go to church to celebrate what God has done for them. They say that they are thrilled and excited to go to church, to worship, and to enjoy their relationship with God and other believers who share a similar focus. When we meet to partake of the Holy Communion, some say that they've come to celebrate Christ's death and resurrection. There's that word again, celebrate. There is a certainty about many things that God has done for us to cause us to celebrate, to be able to celebrate with others who share like faith and enjoyment of the relationship that we have with God. And all this only increases the joy and enhances the opportunity of celebration. This is the art of celebration, knowing that we are free from condemnation. The couple of times in that song that I've been talking about today have to do with celebrating. The dictionary defines celebrate as to observe a day or commemorate an event with ceremonies or festivities, such as to celebrate Christmas. Or it could be to make known publicly, proclaim, such as the newspaper celebrated the end of the war in red headlines. Or thirdly, to praise widely or to present to widespread and favorable public notice as through newspapers or novels, such as a novel celebrating the joys of marriage. Or finally, to perform with appropriate rites and ceremonies, solemnize, such as to celebrate a marriage. I believe you'll be familiar with all these usual expressions using that word, celebrate. The song picks up the word celebrate and adds its own definition in a sense. It says, and I said again, this is the art of celebration, knowing that we are free from condemnation. When we participate in celebration, particularly in the church setting, full enjoyment comes and we are enabled to enter into the full benefit of that celebration in its purest and least tarnished version. When we realize that we can celebrate because we are free, 
free from condemnation. We can step into the Holy of Holies in a new and living way. God bids us to come because we are washed pure by the blood of his Son. We are free. We are born again. We are heirs and joint heirs with Christ to all the riches of glory. And God counts us worthy because Jesus paid it all. This morning then, as you worship, as you celebrate in your church, remember that this is the art of celebration, knowing that we are free from condemnation. Hallelujah. Somehow I stand Where even angels fear to tread Invited by redeeming love Before the throne of God above He pulls me close with nail-scarred hands Into His everlasting arms When condemnation grips my heart And Satan tempts me to despair Voice that scatters fear. Oh, the great I am, the Lord is here. Oh, praise the one who fights for me and shields my soul eternally.
And now with his message for today, here is Senior Pastor Emeritus, Alan Lee. Greetings once again in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Today I want to talk to you about the characteristics of spirit-filled music. Music has now come to dominate most church worship services, demoting the expository proclamation of the Word of God almost to a secondary and insignificant place in the minds of professing Christians. They come out to worship services to be entertained and excited with the music they hear rather than the message from the Word of God. So let me ask you a question. Can music really be used to glorify God as a teaching tool as well as a means of praise and worship? I believe it can, but only if it meets the qualifications and standards of biblically defined spirit-filled music. So, my proposition is this, based, I believe, on the Word of God, as we will show in this message, my proposition is that spirit-filled music can minister spiritually to believers to build them up for the glory of God. My objective, then, is to inform believers concerning the biblical meaning of spiritual music and to encourage such to be used in our worship services. Now, we're going to be looking at several biblical passages. The first is rather an extended one. It goes from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. The passage deals with the lifestyle of a spirit-filled believer. I'll outline the passage for you generally, then we will look at one specific portion of that section. First, in chapter 4, verse 1, we are commanded to live a life worthy of our calling as Christians. Hear the word of God. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, Paul says, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. That's the New Living Testament. So Paul is saying that our life must agree with our profession or calling as Christians. The apostle then fleshes out this command in the rest of the passage. He tells us, first of all, in verses 1 through 16, that we are to live in unity with one another. Then he tells us in verse 17 that we are to live differently than the unsaved. That is, we are to live a holy life. Then in chapters 5, verses 1 through 7, he tells us that we are to live a life of love. Then in verses 8 through 14, he tells us we are to live as children of light. And then in chapter 5, verse 15, to chapter 6, verse 4, which is the section we'll be looking at, he tells us that we are to live wisely by being spirit-filled. Now, the important teaching here is that each command that Paul gives us is grounded in a doctrine or a teaching, or what we call a truth. In other words, before telling us how to live, the Holy Spirit tells us why we should live in such a manner. And so for you Bible students, and I pray that there are many listening right now, carefully look at the preposition in this passage. Look especially at the preposition, therefore. That preposition introduces each section, chapter 4, verse 1, chapter 4, verse 17, 
chapter 5, verses 1, 7, and 15, they all begin with the preposition, therefore. Now, this is very important. The therefore is the logical or practical result or application of the doctrinal truth or principle stated in the preceding verse or verses. In other words, because this truth, this fact, this doctrine is true, Paul is saying, this is how you are to live to show that you believe and obey that truth. In other words, right doctrine produces right living. That is the idea. The spirit-filled Christian is one who rejoices in the way he is living because he understands why he is doing what he is doing, and he wouldn't have it any other way. He may not be in a happy situation, but he is satisfied nonetheless in the knowledge that he is pleasing God by the way he is living. Now, the unsaved person cannot live a life like this, and they cannot understand how a Christian can do so. In essence, then, Paul is telling us that it is only the untaught or carnal Christian who does not truly understand what their life is all about and how God wants us to live to please him. Paul gives us first a general application in verse 15. He tells us that we are to live wisely by understanding God's will. Please hear the word of the Lord again. Verse 15. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Now this is a general command, my friend. But then he goes on to give the specifics of the command in verses 18 to 32. He states it negatively first. Notice what he says in verse 18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to the botchery. This is something a spirit-filled believer never does. Get drunk. The word drunk in this text means soaked in or influenced by. It is a state characterized by the person being out of control of his or her actions one whose mind or brain is dulled and experiences a loss of sensitivity, creating a false high that does not last, a false joy and boldness, and depletes one's energy. That's what it means to be drunk with wine or with intoxicating liquor. Now the word debauchery, not much used today, but it means excess, riotous, and that is the King James Version puts it, dissipation, which one dictionary describes as, first, a descent into drunkenness and sexual immorality, and then secondly, squandering of money, energy, or resources. And in physics especially, it has to do with a loss of energy, especially by its conversion into heat. That's drunkenness. He then gives us the positive command. He says, instead, in other words, instead of being drunk or intoxicated with liquor, be filled with the Spirit. Now, the word fill here is very important. It means to be controlled by or to be pervaded by or to be influenced by. It does not contain the idea of something being poured into a container to fill it up but rather it describes a state or condition that is controlled and in the text controlled by someone, 
the Holy Spirit, rather than being controlled by something, a substance. And this particular filling is characterized by an enlightened, sharpened, keen, alert mindset. It describes a person whose faculties are enhanced, empowered with spiritual energy, and with genuine, disciplined, control, boldness, joy, liberality, and freedom of expression. The command is stated in the continuous tense, and we may translate it literally in this way, be being continually filled with the Spirit. In other words, this is to be an ongoing characteristic of the believer, although at times it may be more pronounced than others. In a word, we are to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Paul then moves into an even greater detail describing specific characteristics of a Spirit-filled people or church. Note that there are four participle clauses here, and they describe what it means to be Spirit-filled. Now look at verse 19. It says, Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. How? Paul says, By singing and making music in your heart to the Lord giving thanks always to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Notice carefully, the first illustration Paul gives of a spirit-filled church is related to their music and to their singing. Notice verse 19 again, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. This teaches us that spirit-filled music ministers spiritually to believers. Colossians chapter 3 verse 16 makes it clear that the manner of speaking or communication to one another is through singing. In fact, the Greek word used in Colossians 3.16 is salontos, which actually means singing psalms, salantas singing psalms. Notice again what the text says. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful heart. Again, that is the New Living Translation. Spirit-filled singing and music, my friends, have always been a part of Christian worship, and it should remain so. Unfortunately, Satan, the master deceiver, is using this medium to seduce the church today. God's people have to be much more discerning as to the music they use or allow to be used in our worship services. So, that's the mode of communicating to one another in our services, singing, Paul says. But he also identifies the objects and the subject of the singing. He says we are to sing psalms to one another meaning believers. Now, some have suggested that this refers to what we call antiphonal singing, which was probably done in the early church, whereby believers respond to one another in song, and especially to the singing of the Psalms. Done properly, this could be a wonderful way of teaching the Word of God to members, somewhat similar to catechisms. But now look at the medium of communication. Paul gives three of them. First, Psalms, he says. We are to sing psalms to one another. Now, this undoubtedly refers to the Old Testament Psalter, what we call the Book of Psalms, and it was used by the early church. 
Paul, I believe, alludes to this in 1 Corinthians 14.26, where he says, and I quote, What is it then, brethren, when you come together, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, and so on. Let all things be done unto edifying. That's the King James Version. The New Living Testament puts it this way. Well, my brothers and sisters, let's summarize. When you meet together, one will sing, another will teach, another will tell some special revelation. But everything that is done must strengthen all of you. Notice, the purpose or objective of the singing, as well as the other activities mentioned, is to strengthen or edify the believer, not get them drunk, not to get them into a frenzy or a concert-like mode. James also alludes to the benefit of singing in the church. He says in chapter 5, verse 13 of his epistle, Is there any among you suffering? Let him pray. Is any cheerful? Let him sing praise. It is also interesting and important to note that the psalms were normally sung with a stringed instrument. In other words, with musical accompaniment. For instance, Psalm 76 begins with this heading, To the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm of Asaph. Asaph was probably what we would call a choir director today. Paul names another form or medium of communication. He says, sing hymns to one another. Now, I believe that these are undoubtedly songs that eulogizes or praises God specifically. Matthew 26, verse 30, and Mark chapter 14, verse 26, state that a hymn was sung by Jesus and the disciples during the Lord's Supper. The point is, however, that it seems that hymns were songs that focused primarily, if not solely, on God himself. This is to distinguish them from the third form of medium the apostle mentions, spiritual songs. The Greek for spiritual is pneumatikai, the same word used with reference to spiritual gifts. It is a general term and probably also includes psalms and hymns, but it goes beyond that. For instance, in 1 Corinthians 14, 15, Paul alludes to songs that are given by the Spirit. So, since these are by nature spiritual songs, they cannot be songs that are secular, fleshly, carnal, or worldly. In fact, Paul is very specific with regard to their content. He begins with this admonishment in verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. In other words, is the well of is the word of Christ that should be seen in the songs that are sung. Spiritual songs are to be songs then that are based upon and reflect the word of God. In fact, this is one specific way as to how we are to determine what is spiritual and what is not. Does it contain or reflect the word of God? Paul reminds Timothy why this is important in Second Timothy chapter four, verse three regarding preaching of the word, but we can put singing of the word where as well. Listen as I read that text. For the time will come when man will not put up with sound doctrine, or we could say spirit-filled music. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers, or we could say they can gather a great number of singers or worship leaders to say or to sing what the itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to miss. That can be applied to singing today. 
Now, here is a purpose for spirit-filled music as given by the apostle in Colossians 3.16. It is to teach and to admonish the believer. And it is the very same purpose for preaching the word of God as taught by Paul in Colossians 1 verse 28. That's why, like preaching, we can also teach error through music. Now, I can give many examples from the hymns and songs we sing today about this. Time does not allow in this particular message. The point is, spiritual singing and spirit-filled music are meant to teach, edify, and admonish God's people, not to entertain, to titillate, or tickle the air. It is meant to glorify God. Paul says it is to be done with a joyful attitude, singing and making melody in your heart. Our hearts must be in tune with the words and message of the hymns and songs, not just our lips mouthing the words without our hearts feeling the truth they convey. Paul also said it is to be done with a thankful spirit, always giving thanks in all things. And for sure it is being done, he says, as to the Lord, to God. In other words, it's to glorify God. The writer of the Hebrews tells us that such singing is a spiritual sacrifice. He says, through Christ, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. We could apply that to spirit-filled music. Paul further states that we are to be singing like this always at all times. And so in conclusion, spirit-filled music ministers to believers because it communicates the word of God and it glorifies him because it is offered to him in the name of Christ as a sacrifice with an attitude of joy and thanksgiving. Now, next time, Lord willing, we're going to look in detail at how to evaluate spirit-filled music. But until then, as always, this is Senior Pastor Emeritus Alan Lee saying, Sila, think and act on these things. You have been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church in Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 o'clock in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We extend an invitation to you to join us on these occasions. If you would like to contact the church or Pastor Lee, address your letters to Echoes of Calvary, Post Office Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And so we come to an end of this broadcast. I invite you to think about the message this morning. Consider the one who is our Savior and Lord. Grow to be complete in Him. And remember, as echoes from Calvary stir in your heart, keep listening for that shout, Maranatha, the Lord is coming soon. Just
great commander's promise, he will surely come again. I am listening every listening moment every for the mighty trumpet sound. Happen in a moment, Jesus Christ could come again. I am listening every morning for the mighty trumpet sound. What a time we'll have together when the saints shall leave the ground and our toiling will be in a moment Jesus Christ could come again